Thank you for the um, great opportunity that we have been given um, through your adoption of us in Christ and how you have used adoption to bring families together and to care for those in need. Lord, we pray that as we discuss this this morning that you would um, encourage uh, people here to um, want to love and support uh, those that are engaged in adoption and um, consider the call to adoption themselves, Lord. Pray that you would um, give us a heart, uh, give us your heart, Lord, for the fatherless and orphans, that you would give, give us your heart for those who are in need, and that that would, uh, that we would be motivated by love um, for one another. In Jesus' name, amen. So, good morning everyone. As you can pick up on in my prayer, um, we're going to be talking about adoption today, and that's one of uh, my favorite topics because I am the father of four amazing adopted children, and I'm really happy and proud that our church has a number of adoptive families in it. And I think that that is, um, you know, demonstrates to the world something important. And so there's a lot to cover, um, and this is just a one-off lesson. It's sort of related to the ethics-type classes that we've been doing. It's really more kind of a uh, a proactive side of that. You know, a lot of the time our ethics worldview sort of issues that we're dealing with are, you know, what's a negative thing in the world and, you know, what's the right position for a Christian to have. And um, while there's an aspect of um, that with adoption, you know, wouldn't be necessary if the world was perfect, you know, if there wasn't brokenness in the world. It's an important part of God's redemptive plan, and it's a, a specific call to Christians and to the church. And so what I'd like to do today is spend some time talking just um, generally about how adoption is treated in Scripture, um, and then talk about who is called to adoption, and then I would like to also discuss, you know, what does that look like? What are the practical realities for families that are um, called to adopt? What does that look like? And, you know, what are some of the challenges and um, hurdles that they might face? And how can the church, you know, whether or not you individually are called to adopt a child, like what can the church do to support those that, that are? So, um, one, a, a couple prefatory notes uh, be, besides that, um, you know, I think, you know, we, we spent a couple weeks talking about abortion, and this is an important, um, an important lesson that kind of goes along with that, and I think it's probably even becoming, going to become more important with the potential change in federal law <clears throat> related to abortion, in that this is a way that we can practically do something for those in need. And um, so I think that we ought to be prepared to um, wrestle with that, you know, both as individuals and as a church, particularly as some of these issues get more localized, right? Um, The other thing I'm going to use, you know, we don't typically, in Scripture you see a lot of 
the terminology used for adoption is, you know, the fatherless and orphans. And we don't often use that language. Um, and uh, so when I'm talking about, you know, the Scripture's view of, of adoption, um, lots of times the, I'll be looking at some of those verses that talk about the care of the fatherless and orphans. And, and I think it's fine for us to use language that is um, culturally sensitive and, you know, sensitive to uh, people that are adopted. Um, and um, so I'm not saying that we need to, you know, use this language specifically, but when we're talking, when we see that in Scripture, we should be thinking about that's what practically, that's what this is talking about, is when you're talking about care for orphans and the fatherless, adoption is, is the primary way that we see that done. So, um, so I'll start off with, you know, what does adoption look like in Scripture? Um, it will should come as no surprise that it's highly revered in Scripture, and there are, um, you know, a couple, well, there's a few important, you know, characters in, in Scripture that are adopted, and um, so I'm going to run through some of those. Uh, so let's see. Um, I see Jack here. I don't see any other children other than Jack, so... Jack, do you, can you think of anyone in the Bible that was adopted? <laughs> All right. We'll start with uh, Moses, okay? So um, you'll recall that in Exodus, Pharaoh was concerned about the, threatened by the growing population of the Hebrews, and he ordered that um, Hebrew children should be killed. And rather than permitting the Egyptians to kill Moses, Moses' mother made a basket of reeds and put him in the river and uh, entrusting him to God. And it, you know, he floated down the river and uh, Pharaoh's wife found the basket and chose to raise Moses as her son, adopted, you know, Moses for all intents and purposes. In Acts 7, we read, at this time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And when he was exposed, Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians, and he was mighty in word and deed. So I'm using that just to show God has used Pharaoh's wives, you know, essentially the Egyptian queen's adoption of Moses to preserve his life and to use Moses to lead um, the Hebrew people out of Egypt. It is an important part of God's uh, the redemptive story that he was working um, involved using adoption. Um, another one that, that we don't always, that I certainly don't always think of is Esther. So in Esther 2, um, we read, Now there was a Jew in Susa, the citadel, whose name was Mordecai, son of Jer, son of Shimea, son of Kish, a Benjaminite who had been carried away from Jerusalem among the captives, carried away with the Jaconian king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, king of, Ju king of Babylon, had carried away. He was bringing up Hadassah, that is Esther, the daughter of his uncle, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman had beautiful figure and was lovely to look at, and when her father and mother died, Mordecai took her as his own daughter. 
And uh, you may recall that as that story progresses, uh, she's selected to be the king or queen of the uh, Persian king. And after she was made, made queen, she learned um, that one of the king's advisors, Haman, was plotting to annihilate the Jewish people from the Babylonian Empire. And, uh, you know, the book of Esther is very dramatic. It's a great story. Um, but, you know, through the, as you read through it, essentially um, through Esther's bravery and Mordecai's wise counsel and the providence of God, he uses um, Esther to uh, save the Jewish people. And um, then, you know, the, the Feast of Purim is, is a celebration of that. So, so what does this have to do with adoption? Um, again, two things. I think that it's, you know, adoption is used as an integral part of the story by which God preserved his people. The situation that Esther eventually was placed in was, was due to that. Um, and then you also see that, that Mordecai is being honored for his adoption of um, his uh, cousin, I guess. So, a third kind of practical illustration of adoption in Scripture is Joseph's adoption of Jesus. So, Jesus was not the biological son of um, Joseph. Yet we see throughout Scripture, um, Joseph, or Scripture described Joseph as Jesus' father. And, um, and it's through Jesus' adoption as Joseph's son that God fulfills promises and prophecies related to the lineage of the Messiah. Um, so I want to read just a, a few verses um, about that as well. So Matthew 1. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband, Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but he knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So here we have um, the angel telling, uh, telling Joseph to raise Jesus as his own. And in fact, we see that Joseph is the one that is, you know, given the name, uh, given, given uh, the name of Jesus to, to name him. Um, a couple others that kind of reinforce this idea, you know, or that, that we see that, uh, that Joseph was, uh, you know, what we would consider kind of a modern uh, adoption of Jesus. So this is from Luke 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. Uh, this was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. 
And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in the manger because there was no place in the inn. So here we see the, the uh, prophecy regarding Jesus' lineage and the place where he was born um, tied directly to his relationship to his earthly father, Joseph. Uh, Matthew thirteen fifty four through 57. And when Jesus had finished these parables, he went away from there, and coming to his hometown, he taught them in their synagogue, so they were astonished and said, Where did this man get his, this wisdom and these mighty works? Is this not the carpenter's son? Is, his mother, is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and, Simeon, and Simon and Judas? And are not all his sisters with us? And where did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his own household. So we see um, in the description of Jesus' relationship with his earthly family that um, God used Joseph's adoption of Jesus not, not only as someone to just raise him, but um, as to fulfill the prophecies that mark Jesus as the Messiah. And, and again, Jesus is honored, uh, or Joseph is honored um, for acting in obedience to God's direction. So those are just a couple practical um, stories for us to, I think, acknowledge the the significance, the the importance, the the high value placed on adoption in Scripture. But the the most significant that we can look at is God's adoption of us. And, And that is one of the most important ways that our relationship with God with God is described in Scripture, in that God is our fa- Father, and He has brought us into His family. Um, Ephesians 1, 4-6, Even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which he has blessed the beloved. So adoption is a, is a crucial concept inherent to understanding our relationship with God. Um, you know, there's volumes have been written about this. But, you know, prior to our adoption, we're enemies of God. And now we are sons and daughters. And, and what does that mean? It means that we have all the rights and privileges of heirs. Um, and what we have uh, an inheritance to are the glorious promises that we um, have in Jesus Christ. Um, so our union with Christ means that we are part of God's family. And I think, you know, as we've adopted, um, it has been seeing the kind of the, the, the practical illustration of that. Like there's a reason why God uses language that we can understand. 
right? He, he speaks down to us so that we can grasp the realities that are happening. And we understand what it means to be part of a family. We understand what it means to belong. And gonna do it. <laughs> um, adoption shows us what we experience. <clears throat> you know, we get a little taste of it when we get to see, you know, when we brought our children home, you know, we have, <clears throat> we get to see a little taste of what it means to bring a person into a family. But how much more do we all experience that in Christ? That's just an illustration and a foretaste of the realities of being part of God's family. <clears throat> I told Michelle I was worried I was going to do this when I was driving here. <laughs> um, I'm not really good with negative emotions, so <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's a challenge for me. Um, <clears throat> So, I mean, there's a lot more that we could say about what it means to um, be adopted as um, part of God's family, the, um, the assurance of his favor and the belonging that we get from that. Um, but, you know, I'll, I'll kind of leave, leave that part there. I, but I, that ought to be the backdrop um, as we think about and we, we're, I'm going to continue into, you know, what do we see God's heart is for the fatherless and the orphans. And that ought, the, the spiritual reality of our adoption ought to be the, the backdrop that we're seeing when we see God's heart for those, um, that category of people, right? <coughs> so, in addition to what we, we know about what Scripture says about his, God's posture and love towards us, um, he, Scripture has a lot to say about care for those in need, and specifically about orphans. Um, So Deuteronomy 10:18, or I'll start in verse 17. For the Lord your God is, a, is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God who is not partial and who takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, loves the sojourner, <clears throat> giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You could take that argument, you know, I, I'm not trying to insert something into Scripture, but he's talking about the fatherless and the sojourner, and it says, love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in Egypt. You could easily take that same logic and argument and say, 
love the fatherless and the widow, for you were the fatherless and the widow. And um, that is God's heart towards, uh, towards us and specifically um, towards those people in need. Um, Psalm 68, uh, 5 and 6. Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. God settles the solitary in a home. He leads out the prisoners to prosperity, but the rebellious dwell in a parched land. So what does this tell us about God's heart towards the vulnerable weak, um, and in particularly the orphan and the fatherless? And it's that he has compassion toward them and that his heart is to, to take them and place them in a position of belonging. So, looking, so we've covered, you know, we see adoption in Scripture. It's valued. It's, uh, we see God adopt, uh, God's adoption of us, and we see God's heart towards um, adoption in these last couple passages that I read. So, who is called to adoption? This, this probably isn't a surprise uh, at this point, but everybody is. Um, you all, I'm just letting you know right now, you are all called to this. And, and that can look different ways, but um, everyone here is called to love our, your neighbor. And um, in James 1.27, we read that religion that is pure and undefiled before God, the Father, is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I kind of like the, I mean, I, I'm, I'm not a, a Greek scholar, but I like the way the NIV says it in that it says, look over or care for um, orphans and widows. And what is being communicated here is the significance of applying what we read about God's heart um, to our own lives, what we're called to do. Um, placing the solitary in homes, doing justice. Uh, we see this again in Isaiah um, 117. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil from your deeds before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's case. And in Proverbs 31.8, open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. And if you see, if you have an ESV, like there's a footnote, what it's referring to as destitute is sons of passing away. So it's, it's, a, it's a reference to those who are fatherless. So I think the message is clear that we as a church are called to love those in need and specifically to love orphans and the fatherless. And I think that that should um, manifest itself in a heart for adoption because that's what God's heart is for the vulnerable and ours should be as well. Um, so, and, and I think an, another aspect of that that is significant is, you know, when we are caring for, you know, uh, you know, when we bring 
a child into our home and make them, you know, their accools, right? It's, it's not just providing for their physical needs. It's not even just providing for their emotional um, security. As Christians, we have such a great privilege to be the means by which a child is being placed in God's covenant community. And I know that God in his sovereignty can pluck any person out of any environment and quicken them with faith. But the primary means that he's done that throughout history is through his covenant community, through families. And that is something that has been really overwhelming to uh, and humbling to participate in, seeing that God has used, you know, the brokenness of the world and, you know, of, of our, you know, Michelle and I's particular situation to, to take children that are amazing, but to take them out of a situation where they weren't going to be exposed to the covenant blessings that they have here and now get to sit under the word of God and to um, be loved in that way. And so I think that's another thing just to point out of the significance of what we do as Christians when we participate in, in this. So how um, can the church fulfill the call to adoption? Um, I, I would say, first, I would encourage you to consider whether or not you are called to adoption or foster care. But second, if you are not individually like called to be the family that is you know, caring for that child, um, you are called to support those who do. <clears throat> and that, can, that support can take a lot of different ways. So for the, you know, I've got another 15 minutes, the remainder of our time, I'd like to talk about kind of some of the practical realities of adoption. And, you know, so, because I think a lot of times people don't um, necessarily understand what people go through to adopt and how they can help, you know, even if it's just through prayer, support um, people that are doing that. And so, you know, like I said, I, I am, I'm really proud that, you know, just even on our session, we have represented, uh, you know, different adoptive families in different ways in which adoption has been accomplished. You know, um, Ed and Terry uh, did an international adoption. All of our adoptions have been private adoptions locally. Um, the McGuire's adoption was through the foster care system. Um, and so, and I think there are different challenges that come with each of those types of scenarios. Um, but I wanted to just kind of talk a little bit about how those work and what those, some of those challenges are. So, you know, I, I, it's easiest for me to speak about, you know, private adoptions because that's what we have, that's what our experience has, has been. Um, so, the, I mean, I think one of the, the practical realities is that adoption is expensive. Um, you know, it can cost, you know, anywhere from 
fifteen to forty-five thousand um, dollars to do a private domestic adoption. There are you know certain programs that allow um, that that provide uh, financial assistance, but a lot of times families are um, taking that on, you know, on their own. I mean, I'll, I'll say we have, we have been blessed tremendously by people that have supported us financially in our adoptions. Um, but I think that that's something that people ought to be aware of, that it's not just, um, it, it's not, it is a true investment. And, you know, unlike, you know, when you have a biological child, you know, you have insurance that covers uh, your expenses and, and, and things like that. Um, with adoptions, you know, adoption insurance typically does not cover adoptions. You're often part of that cost that I'm talking about. You're often responsible for the birth mom's medical expenses. And uh, for some, you know, in some of our cases, you know, care for the birth mom before and after um, she gives birth. And so I'm just saying that to, to make everyone aware of like the, the practical reality. Um, you know, there can be really significant wait times. I mean, we've not experienced that, but we know people that have waited for years um, for a child, and that is hard um, when you have something that you feel called to, that you want, and um, there's nothing you can do to really accelerate that process. Um, you don't have to fill out an application for a biological child. <laughs> Um, you, uh, there's, a, there's a lot of work that goes into the process of adoption. You have social workers coming into your home, looking at your house, you know, making sure that you, know, you're, you're, you have a safe environment for a child. Um, there's a lot of uncertainty. Uh, in Nevada, Nevada is pretty pro-adoption in terms of its um, state laws. But, you know, when, you, when a, uh, a birth mom, you know, gives birth, she cannot sign over her parental rights. So this is a scenario in which the court is not involved. So she can't sign that paperwork until 72 hours after um, the birth. So you can imagine the type of emotional pressure and stress that that creates where you have a situation where there is a baby that you've been planning on adopting, that you've been waiting for, and you have to wait to see if, you know, the birth mom changes her mind. Um, and, you know, other states, there's potential for, you know, months or years afterwards for, um, for that to happen. And so, in general, for private adoptions in, in Nevada, it's, there's uh, a little less of that, but it's, it's still a grueling process. You know, we had, um, we were, we had an adoption where we were sil um, paired up with a pregnant mother, and then after she had the baby, she changed her mind. And um, so there's, there's a lot of um, just emotional uh, uncertainty that goes along with it, too. When you think about the foster care system um, and the need there, which the need is incredible, like the, there are so many children in need right now. 
some of the challenges with like the foster care system is it's controlled by the state. You have um, their goal is, you know, uh, almost always their primary goal is reunification with the child um, and or reunification of the child with their um, immediate family, which I, that's not a bad, I'm not saying that that's a bad goal, but, um, you know, we know people who have, you know, raised a child for three, four years, and then that child gets taken away because there's a relative, a, a biological relative that wants to adopt that child or, or a scenario like that. So there's, um, I think that, you know, our call would, in that situation would be to support those people and know that that work is not in vain. Like caring for that child, you know, is not, doesn't, be, if it doesn't result in adoption, that doesn't mean that it's a failure of, um, you know, doing what we've, we're talking about here, right? Caring, caring for, um, but the fatherless and the orphans. But it is, I mean, that's a, that's a huge emotional toll, too, on people. I mean, that is, that is really hard. So, um, in, in the foster care system, it takes a long time to adopt. Like, it's generally, um, unless there's something really egregious, it's, it's going to take a long time. <clears throat> With international adoptions, there's kind of a combination of these factors that we're talking about. They're becoming a little more infrequent due to changes in government policies, so there's less international adoption that happens now than what there did, but there's a lot of cost involved, there's a lot of time. Um, oftentimes, you know, you have, uh, you know, lies or misinformation about the situation that that child has been in, what they've been exposed to, um, and so, uh, so those are some of the kind of the practical, you know, things that go along with the challenges, I guess I will say, that of uh, adoption. I think another, uh, an, another few things kind of regardless of what route adoption looks like is that, um, you know, oftentimes families that adopt are coming to that place from a struggle with infertility. And that doesn't lessen the significance um, or value of the choice to adopt. But um, there's, I, I think that it's, it is important for people to think about that. And the, the um, again, emotional kind of tension that is there. You don't get to choose, when you adopt, you don't get to choose the prenatal experience of your children. Um, Often the paths that have led to children um, to being in need of adoption have to do with birth parents that have done things um, due to bad choices or circumstances that have harmed their children. And, um, and oftentimes, you know, as an adoptive family, you may not even know what that is for years. And so um, that's something I think that is a, is a challenge as well. Obviously, you know, you don't get to choose the, uh, you know, biological profile of, of, a, of a, you know, biological child either, a naturally born uh, child. But um, 
particularly with adoption, there's just, you just don't know. And a lot of times there's a lot of things that have, um, have the potential to have lasting effects on your children um, that, uh, that they may have been exposed to. I think, that, you know, there are, um, I think there's a real, there can be uh, challenges with the sense of belonging. Um, you know, I, I think it's, it's natural for um, adoptive um, children to feel that tension of, you know, uh, they can love being adopted and being part of the family that God has placed them in in their adoptive family, but that doesn't mean that there's no wrestling with, you know, what happened to, you know, why am I in this situation, right? Um, and so, again, that's something that as adoptive parents, like, you're wrestling along with your children and loving them, um, but that's something that can be a long, long-term thing for a lot of, of people, regardless of the loving situation that they're, they're in, that they're placed in. And, um, you know, there's, there's uh, you know, I think one thing is even with, you know, race, you know, I mean, we, we, we sometimes get weird looks having four black children with two white parents, right? Um, and um, they feel very loved by everyone here. I'm not saying anything negative about, about us as a, as a church, but, you know, we're, we're a predominantly white church, just <laughs> throwing that out there. Um, and, uh, and there can be a sense of, you know, not belonging, um, and, and not having people with shared, um, you know, shared experiences or culture. Um, and, and, and one of the challenges I do think, you know, as an adoptive parent is we do want to also, um, you know, honor the, the cultures that they have come from, you know, and not, not act like that doesn't exist, um, you know. Our, with our adoptions, we've ha- there, we, we have some that are closed, some that are open. So somewhere we have some interaction with, with birth parents, somewhere we don't have any. Um, and those have different challenges. There's, um, there's, there are challenges with, um, you know, how do you navigate, like, you know, interacting with this, um, with a birth parent, and then how do you navigate with someone who doesn't have that option, right? And, and so those are, um, those are just some of the kind of practical challenges that in realities that go with adoption. So I'm going to kind of just try to tie it back to, you know, why am I sharing all of, you know, just kind of this laundry list of things that, and I, don't, I don't really don't mean these as negative, but just realities, right? Um, why am I sharing all of that? Because all of you are called to love and support adoption and, ca- and care for the fatherless and the orphans. And one of the ways that you can do that is through loving and encouraging your adoptive families. And for people that are considering adoption, encouraging them and helping them. And, you know, 
I mentioned the financial uh, stuff at the beginning, but that, that's a way, that's a very practical way that people can support adoption is that is a, often a big hurdle for people. So my hope is that as we look at that the scripture treats adoption with honor, it's part of the story that God has used for redemptive history. We see God's heart for adoption. We see that we are specifically called to care for the fatherless and orphans. And then, you know, these are some of the challenges. These are some of the ways in which we can fulfill um, what Scripture has called us to. So, um, So everyone is called to the ministry of adoption. Adopt or support those who do. That's the, that's the takeaway, right? Um, uh, any questions? Thanks, Josh. Um, I'm sure you've experienced this, but the one lesson after being in the 20th year since, since Karen was adopted is that you must take each child as an individual that you can't expect that the way one acts is going to be the way the other acts. They're each, you know, God's mm -hmm. creation and each. Um, and I would encourage anyone that's considering um, international adoption never to get discouraged by the amount of paper. There is just form upon form upon form that has timelines that have to be filled. But um, Terry and I saw again and again by God's grace how uh, that it all worked out. In the end, it worked out. Um, I think it's very hard to, our experience with international adoption, you know, we tried to have the girls be um, um, aware of their Chinese culture, but they really had not a lot of interest in it. But it did bring up some problems once they started school because uh, Karen especially went to school with a lot of kids that were raised in Asian families. and so kind of felt like a fish out of water sometimes coming out of with mom and dad both being Caucasian. Um, but I, I, I just so struck with God's care and mercy through the whole process that, that um, you know, it, it just reinforces to us that we are all, all adopted, that all of us, you know, are adopted in Christ. And uh, what a tender, tender thing it is to consider to, to bring a child. I, I have a, a a moment that I'll never forget when we were leaving the orphanage with the woman that had taken care of Karen had been taken from the orphanage and put in foster care for three months and this woman came to the bus to say goodbye and just mo cried her heart out and you could see that that, you know, that woman had really had made a connection with this child and, and, and was very sad to see them go so that was very encouraging to us because with a lot of kids that are raised over the long term in an in a orphanage situation, there's issues of reactive attachment because they don't have enough bonding time. So um, you may speak to that as well. So Yeah. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's a good, good point that Ed made in terms of every child situation is going to be different. They have different you know, to use the, the language of the day, I guess, trauma um, that they've experienced that's going to be unique to them and it affects them and um, just like we all have unique experiences as well and it affects us um, and so being aware of that and um, 
being sensitive to that in how you love and support um, families that are, particularly families with young kids or that are early on in that process. Um, or, well, I, I won't even say young kids. I'll say, I'll say school-aged children um, because that's something that you're, you know, you go through uh, puberty and you're, you're dealing with having to deal with this with a whole host of new emotions. And, um, but yeah, the, the issues that come along with um, your ability to bond and, and um, you know, really feel a part of that family in a healthy way, like those are, those are challenges. Um, do you have a question too? So I think this will be our last last one. But I'll say if anyone has um, any questions, feel free to talk to me or Michelle or any of the other uh, families that have adopted in the church. I'm sure they'd be happy to talk to you as well. But you know, we have we love adoption, so we're happy to talk about our experiences. Um, do you have any recommendations or advice? Because I have considered it and I don't really know how to begin such a process. Um, so it, in Nevada, like there are only a handful of private adoption agencies, um, uh, and then there's basically going through the state, which is you know, talking to the county and doing foster, getting licensed as a foster care provider. So those are kind of the two, two main things, but. Um, Michelle? One of the reasons why it's so important to both celebrate and just talk about adoption, it's so important that it's not viewed as a last resort. It's so crucial. And I think it's really sad that for some reason our culture has made it as like, first you try to have kids biologically, then you do in vitro, and then you do this thing and that thing, and then, then there's adoption. And that is just simply not, it is not the way it should be. And I just wanna encourage all of y'all <laughs> to, be willing to um, be educated and supportive and asking the tough questions um, because I don't think it's acceptable to view it that way in the church, that that is this, this last resort. And so, and I think part of that is by like just inserting our, um, our, ourselves into each other's lives and asking the sometimes the hard questions to make people feel um, I'm sorry, I'll wrap this up <laughs> at ease, but I mean, I'm just even thinking like, sometimes I think when people view us as an adoptive family, it's almost like there's questions you're not supposed to act, ask or, like I have rarely felt more love than when someone says, so what, what challenges you face with raising an interracial family? How can I come alongside you? What about the hair? Like, how are you doing with their hair? <laughs> you know, I think that sometimes people don't ask those questions because they feel like it's uncomfortable. Like, and those are some of the things that make us feel loved and celebrated and, um, and some of those things that make adoption feel like this is a part, um, just a, uh, not making it like this sort of last resort or negative thing or like something you don't want to talk about. Do you know what I'm saying? So anyways, sorry that was long. I'm wrapping it up. The end. All right. I'm going to just say a quick prayer. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our adoption in Christ, and we thank you that you use your church and your people to, um, to love those in need of a home. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be effective in serving you and being obedient in that way, and 
loving and supporting um, people that are called to adopt in Jesus' name. Amen.